This week's episode of Screen Talk is supported by Bleecker Street, presenting the new film Disobedience. Rachel Weiss and Rachel McAdams are Ronit and Esty, two childhood friends in a strict religious community who were separated after being caught in an enlisted relationship. Years later, when circumstances reunite them, their passions are reignited as they push the boundaries of faith and sexuality. Alessandra Nivola also stars. From Sebastian Lelio, the Academy Award-winning director of A Fantastic Woman, also good, and based on the novel by author Naomi Alderman. Now playing in select theaters, go see this thing. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, and Ann, I'm in Paris. Where are you? I'm in the same old place I've always been. I don't leave until Sunday for the south of France. Yeah, it's, it's the calm before the storm. I, I followed a pattern I started last year, getting out here a little bit early, seeing some things, getting over jet lag. But mostly it's just it, it's crazy how can no matter what, the Cannes Film Festival kind of destroys your life for a while in, in a kind of wonderful way. But, but it's like the, the more time that I can set aside to sort of mentally and physically prepare myself for that, the better, as you know. Although I have to say they finally sent out the um, schedule so that we could see what the screenings uh, look like. And, uh, of course, I'm very excited about the opening night movie with Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. Everybody Knows. Which is called Everybody Knows, a Spanish-language film directed by Oscar Farhadi, which is sort of interesting. And also um, in And that's actually for sale. That's one of yep. the films that might actually, you know, get sold to a North American buyer if, if it's if it's as good as it looks like it might be. And it's but one of then, those cases where it's an opening film and in competition, so there's no, like, slow drum roll. You're just in it. The competition yeah, exactly. And then you, the the next thing that's sort of exciting to me, and by the way, I've heard very good buzz on it as well, is Cold War from Pavel Polakowski. So I'm I'm really excited about that one, I, I which is a romantic wartime kind of drama. Yeah. Yeah, from the guy who did Ida, and and the thing that I that I'm really excited about, outside of the fact that that was a really good movie, and and this premise sounds enticing is that it's 85 minutes long which is about the same length as John Goddard's movie and about half to a quarter of the length of everything else in competition so they did some yeah. kind of average of all the movies in competition and they're all over two hours long yeah. the averages yeah. yeah I mean one of the things that that, that that reflects among others is that Many of these films were not done when they were accepted, and people rush to the finish line. It's often the case that the running time is not accurate when the film screens, or that someone rushed to finish this thing and didn't have time to prune away. But also you're dealing with a range of filmmakers from different parts of the world who make movies and kind of in different under different expectations, and in a lot of cases, they're Some not Some of them commercial. make very slow movies. Yeah, I mean, my, my big finale will probably be the three-hour-plus Nuri Bilga Ceylon film from Turkey. All yours, Turkey. dude. Yeah, it'll be my big finale. I, I figure, you know, we'll, we'll start sort of with that steady, uh, you know, sort of uh, experience of something slightly outside the most traditional kind of cinema, you know, some familiar faces and then we'll work beyond the star system and we'll see some stuff from around the world and then we'll climax with something that's just you know the likelihood that it'll find much of an audience back home is, is so minimal that we may as well kind of make it a can no experience. i mean i've i've talked to some of the distributors and they they especially this year they really are sort of 
I mean, there, as you know, there are different cans. And if the, if the main can, if the competition and, and, and the official selection is a little bit on the sl- slow and artful side this year, um, uh, which is fine. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm, I want to see the Alice Rohrbacher. I, there, there's all sorts of things I want to see. Um, but uh, it means there's more time to look at the market, to see what's going on with the distributors who aren't going to be buying a lot of these films in, in the uh, selection. And 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 looking at the you know they're going to be showing footage from a lot of the often crappy I admit but you never know I mean Jessica Chastain is producing a movie that's for sale in the market so that might be interesting yeah I mean the market see what it looks of, like it's this hilarious thing in the bowels of the palais that that has such a you know all film markets I think to a discerning film viewer seem like just you know a dense wasteland of dreck. And the Cannes one is especially dense because it's so many different territories around the world. And you see all these posters for movies that don't exist. a lot of genre movies. Yeah, Yeah. it's a lot of stuff that looks crappy. Sometimes they're hilarious. Yeah, I hate to say it, but you know. A lot of uh, Asian films, you know, there's a lot of good stuff. And and what you can also do is go to the market screenings and see what's playing there and and check things out there. One of the movies that's for sale, uh, which I'm I'm excited about, is Mark Cousins' uh, documentary about, uh, it's a letter to Orson Welles. And he basically explores his his career and life by going back to the places where he lived and like touring the Art Institute of Chicago to see wh- where the influences were on Citizen Kane. It's a great it's a great way to go. I'm well, there's no question it. that that movie is benefiting from being instead of one of three Orson Welles films it can just one. The only one. The documentary yep. and the restoration of his last film are not going to be there, and that, and that's also kind of fascinating too. I mean if this Netflix thing hadn't gone down the way it went down and there was an Alfonso Cuaron film there, it may have, you know, and some of the other films that Netflix had in contention, it may have swayed the conversation or Paul about it. Exactly, that and that is another you know, one. So, so there, is a, there is this kind of sense that, uh, you know, the... That this year's can is, but but yeah. you know honestly, I mean I've I've heard people say that last year's can wasn't particularly great, and that thank God they had Twin Peaks and Jane Campion to to save the day. So can is always going to be sort of well, in they're not leading on television except for Fahrenheit four fifty one, exactly. which I'm it's actually not, looking forward. The TV to. thing, by the way, was not some sort Rami of dramatic, Barani. and neither and neither was the TV thing was not a turning point, and neither was the VR thing last year. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a showcase for cinema, and this year. So it's just an open question of whether or not, you know, a more uh, far-reaching showcase of films that are not familiar to everyone is going to end up being a better festival in terms of quality. Well, it gives you critics more 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 room to play, but um, I mean, you have you do have to wait until the fourteenth to see Black Klansman. I mean, among the the different um, American titles that we're looking forward to, and then Under the Silver Lake is the same uh, the same night. So and, and Solo, uh, and, which is the big studio movie, is going to show show in the U.S. So it's not like that's a can. You know, like I know all the all that. the reviews will already be be out by the time it shows in Cannes. We don't we can go see it, but we don't. I mean, I'm going to miss it here, but um, and I'm going to miss the man who killed Don Quixote if it in fact gets to show, which is closing night. <laughs> it's a real um, open question if if that movie will ever kind of get to the end of its curse. It's like the Cubs slowly crawling to the World Series victory or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And we'll I do see. want to see the uh, Popa Man of His World because I think Vim Vendor's in documentary mode is 
is always worth watching all and uh, you know of all the people who who have gotten nominated for for uh, Oscars in that in that category he's had three so I mean he's pretty he's pretty far up there I don't know if this this does sound like something he did very much in cahoots with the Vatican so uh, we'll see if it's a little bit hageographic I'm you surprised know. you're not more excited about Gaspar Noe's movie in I love Fortnite. Gaspar Noe Gaspar Noe shocked by Gaspar <laughs> it's a yeah exactly what I was gonna say I mean I think that's what I really am looking for can it's like I don't even want to necessarily see my favorite movies of the year I just want to see things that are you know just sort of fire people up you know either divide audiences or get them talking talking about the movies in a way that I think makes the art form and the culture surrounding it more exciting so Gaspar Noe's film Climax and director's Fortnite fingers crossed Jean-Luc Godard's film The Image Book I'm sure is going to be very you know, experimental and interesting and, and generate a lot of conversation about his legacy and what he's doing. Is he is he screwing with us or is he... A is it his or, last film? Is it his last film? We don't know. Is he going to show up at the festival or... That's projecting? a big question you never since know. he doesn't show up I for I want to see him smarter. just like, like pop up through the floor one day or something like that. I mean, I, I do feel like Great he's... to get our hands on him, I have to say. Yeah. I would I would have a lot of questions for him. Yeah, well, that but may be why he's not there. Well, is the, the other Jack one Large of, von Trier, of course. We that one is the one that maybe that's the one I'm I, along with the Polakowski. I would say that's the one. Do you do you say pa? Do you have to say Pavlikovsky? I think you do. It's yes. been so long since so, Ida came. So out. that's that's the one that I I'm most looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean the Lars von Trier. Film I love is, Lars von Trier, and actually, I've loved, you know, I've loved so many of his movies. The guy, one of those cases where you separate the crazy person from the artist and say, well, maybe the artist is worth watching. I don't know if I agree with that, because I actually think that in spite of... What I find kind of fascinating is I, when I got into doing this sort of stuff, I, was, I, I started to notice that the more you talk to filmmakers when you really love their films, it often is sort of... It makes sense when you talk to somebody, that, oh, this is the person that made this film, and oftentimes a deeply creative person Im imbues a filmography with some aspects of who they are. And I do think Lars von Trier does that in the sense that his movies have these kind of really, they swing to these emotional extremes. You know, they, they are complicated. They are designed to provoke a reaction in you, but they are also the work of, of somebody who is incredibly in control of the medium on their own terms. And so, so that's Definitely. what I'm, and, and with the house of Jack built, the more that I think about this, putting that movie out of competition is really going to help take that conversation away from the Lars controversy and more to the movie and, and well, we'll what see it's about doing. that. We'll I mean, see about I, that. I mean, there's going to be you know? press. There's no press conference, obviously. Exactly. So that's not. So we'll be a see concern. if he's actually going to sit down one on one with the press, which he's willing to do. And I hope I, I'm hoping to get my hands on him because I, I enjoyed talking to him the last time after Melancholia. Um, but it doesn't look like Solo will be doing any, any you know, we won't have any press for, around that. Just, we'll just get a chance to see the, see the movie. And I'm looking forward also to Kevin McDonald's Whitney, uh, because he's, again, he's somebody who swings both ways, if you like, in terms of documentary and feature. But uh, he's one of the great documentary filmmakers, too. Well, and that's certainly a subject he can sink his teeth into. If, if you're really hardcore and you want to see it at the first screening, you're going to have to sit through a midnight movie. 
which is just such, so funny to me that this I know it looks on the schedule. It says zero dot one five. <laughs> yep, and it's two hours long, so that's going to be a rough night. I think that I'll mean, wait. <laughs> and that's just, it's so funny. The funny thing about Can, I mean, I my hope is that with the the scheduling shift that's happened this year, which we've talked about before, with you know the press screenings are at the same time as the premieres or later, is that maybe there's less of this sense that everybody needs to get up at the crack of dawn every day, but. I have a feeling it's still going to be pretty damn exhausting no matter what. It's sort of inescapable because you want to see these movies and the more you want to see, the harder you have to work to see stuff and deal with things and produce work about them. So that's just part of the whole package. And it's it's just, it's hilarious because it's so divorced from the reality of how most people watch movies and what people are seeing. I mean, let, let's talk about the movie that's in theaters right now that everybody's talking about. Avengers Infinity War. This is not a can type of movie, but it is kind of interesting to think about it because that is now the movie that everybody's seeing around the world and talking about. And I'm kind of surprised, you know, it almost felt to me like a movie that could have played at a film festival because it is taking some pretty extreme risks. I would agree. And I had a conversation with some, you know, a friend of mine uh, telling them about it. And that person was a sort of totally predictable, let's imagine an average, an average Academy voter, white, male, older, you know, someone who thinks they have good taste, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and in many ways they do, I'm not saying they don't, but it highbrow oriented and the, Oh, that's just another formula movie. That's just blah. And I was arguing really strenuously that this is not a formula movie, that they have created this enormous sprawling universe where you have identified and met and learned about all these different characters. And when you put them all together, it is there. How do you describe that moment when suddenly they're going to go to Wakanda? Well, <laughs> you know? it's interesting. You know? It's, it's so amazing. It's a decade in the making to, to yes, bring all those words works. together. I also think, I, I don't totally agree that it's not, I mean, I think there is a formula for it. The formula is actually a different media. It's comic books. I mean, comic books have it's been... Not I, I'm sorry, but the, formulas the, are, are, are the way Hollywood and every other studio makes movies is not the way Marvel does it. And I'm, I'm sorry, this movie completely broke the rules. No, but listen to me on this. What, what I think is, I mean, we're, if you look at the way that Marvel and, uh, and DC both have been telling stories since the Jack Kirby days, really, uh, it's been about building out worlds that intersect and often you would have those worlds intersect in such an extreme way that you would have these sprawling storylines with dozens of characters that readers would know from different series lines and stuff like that all coming together. And they could even do something really disastrous that everyone would be talking about. You can't do that to that character. And it, and it would be this kind of fascinating thing because you would keep reading these different installations, but you'd have to read them all to kind of understand that on a, on a filmmaking level, that's been really hard to do to make so many movies so well that you could do them continuously and have them overlap, but also be discrete entities. And I felt like that was the ultimate coup here, is that they pulled that off here. All right, so are we allowed to talk about the, the, the spoiler-filled uh, ending of this movie, which was also something incredible to experience? We live in this in weird theater. time where it's like, nobody really knows when a spoiler stops being a spoiler. 
You know, it's All like, right. it's, I think we, we can, can do it. It's, we can it's, talk it's about it. Spoiler after, alert, guys. But Go you, see if the you haven't movie. seen the movie and you've probably been hearing about this ending by and, and you've probably been telling yourself, I better get to the theater before it gets spoiled. Uh, yeah, <laughs> get to the theater before it gets spoiled and don't listen to us. Um, but anyway, yeah. So what they do is they basically over the course of the movie are killing off various major characters and you're going, whoa, like right at the beginning, they kill off a major character. And then, um, I mean, I'm going to say who it is. It's Loki. They kill off Loki and then they kill off somebody else. And then you get to this finale and the threat that, that uh, Thanos is throwing over the world is that he's going to decimate the population. I think in this case, that word is being used properly. He's going to actually take it in half the entire population of with the snap of, of his fingers you gotta remember that part that's the most important because that's an iconic snap it's in the comic right. too that's right and and so and so the threat is real and and the stakes are real except that in most movies the heroes stop the villain and and in this case they don't i mean what not only do they not stop the villain literally nothing works in this movie there is no. I mean, I guess you could argue that also some of the they don't. Sa they save each other instead of the, yeah. of saving the world. But it, but it's which a, is but it's another like, interesting there are, here. But there are these prolonged sequences involving you know this person's got a plan to stop Thanos and this you know Thor spends the longest time out in space with Peter Dinklage trying to build a giant hammer. And it's it to he he it doesn't, doesn't do anything. It, doesn't it just doesn't do. Yeah. And, and that's like yeah. one one example of several where it just doesn't work to me. Well, they allow Thanos to get to get to get as powerful as he is. There's yeah, a moment well, where Doctor Strange makes a very important decision. Yeah, and we'll, right? we'll see in the next one exactly what that means in total. But I think it's interesting because this is actually a villain who's kind of popped up in tiny bits and pieces along the way in post credit sequences and been kind of like a joke to a lot of people I think it's like who cares about that giant purple alien guy who's got some like weird gem fetish but then all of a sudden they actually gave him a really great sort he of was good because Josh, Josh Brolin, Brolin was good. good you've got a situation where you have an actor being mo-capped and you've got this uh, animated giant character and yet the humanity on the face, uh, I have to say, they're going to win. They could win VFX. Yeah, because I mean, the last shot it's of the very, movie. It's a very good character, and he's very good as the, that character. The last shot of the movie is is his face. It's a reaction shot. It's not an explosion or something all that spectacular. And there's a lot of stuff like that through the movie. I mean, you really they get to know. His real character, his his expressions, his his. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to say that Thanos is a complicated character, and and this is where I'm talking. To, I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking to my friend, and he's laughing at me. Yeah, he's like, "What he's happened to you? What the hell are you talking about with these Infinity Stones and this and that? Yeah. You know, do you hear yourself?" And I'm taking it seriously because I actually think Marvel takes it seriously. And by the way, the audience was wrecked. Absolutely. They were weeping, some of them, well, on of the course. way out of this it's good, it's good storytelling on its own terms. Is it a good movie overall? I don't know. But I do think that there are ind individual ingredients and, and a very ambitious uh, storytelling conceit coming to a head here that, that is unique in the blockbuster landscape. And that was really so cool the, to see. It's true. So the, so the screenwriters have gone on record saying that the deaths are real. I mean, of course, what I started spinning was that they could still have, if this was the end game, they could still have side 
pocket stories that are not, you know, that are ahead of this. They could do that or, you know, about individual characters or there could be something with the time stone. Oh, obviously. I mean, it's obviously going to be some mixture of these things. Some people will probably stay dead. I think there's also there was a really good Spider-Man comic from a number of years ago where basically everybody in Spider-Man's life dies and or I believe it's his Aunt May is dying and he makes a deal with the devil, essentially this character Mephisto, to um, undo the life that he has to keep Aunt May alive. And, and they effectively rebooted the Spider-Man storyline where Peter Parker has never met uh, uh, Mary Jane before. Uh, and so it allowed them to give a new start to the comic book, but also it was like this really specific game. A lot of people hated this storyline, but it but it was a workaround in a sense because they did something cataclysmic to the timeline, but then could go tell some other kinds of stories. And I think exactly, I have a and like, you know they've got some tricks up their sleeve. Yeah, they there'll be something happened. Stories back to back, and there are two films back to back. So we're going to find out in the next film, and the surviving characters. We'll have to figure out what to do. <laughs> well, and they also have, you know, so the, the end credits here tease, um, the, the thing after the credits tease Captain uh, Marvel, which uh, which is one of the next ones coming up. And uh, we have another Ant-Man, Ant-Man movie we have up. again. So they have, the- like, these little yeah. movies or small, you know, smaller in terms of scale, I guess. And, uh, and it should be interesting to see, you know, because at this point, you do actually have young adults and teenagers for whom Iron Man was like a definitive movie. I mean, there's like such extreme investment in the movie world now from fans that they they really are seem to be choosing their next steps in, in an incredibly strategic way to keep that fandom and, and kind of grow it and grow on what they've built. So, you know, it's not my well, favorite thing to talk about. But... You're, you're going to have a lot of people uh, showing up to, uh, A, to see the movie everyone's talking about now, which is, of course, Breaking Records, and also uh, to see the next one. I just love um, that some people are probably going to go having never seen a Marvel movie. They'll be like, well, my friend said that it's got a great cliffhanger and be oh, so confused. Possibly it won't make this. sense. If yeah. you haven't seen it, um, and by the way, exist. the other the other thing uh, back to Can. The other thing I'm looking forward to is seeing Christopher Nolan in conversation, Ryan Coogler in conversation, and the Space Odyssey uh, on the big screen, which I haven't seen for a long time, 2001. So that'll be fun yeah, as it's, well. It's, I mean, if I if I could somehow justify going to see that movie there, I would. it never gets old for me. And they cut an amazing trailer for the 50th anniversary. So, you know, it, it's rare to see anything at a new film festival that is on the level of that movie. And, and reality check, we've been talking about a Marvel movie for the last 10 minutes. It's interesting, but the possibility of seeing, you know, a sci-fi achievement on the level of 2001 is, is I mean, it, it's hard to... Uh, envision anything reaching that level of artistry. I mean, that truly is my favorite movie of all time. So, so, so you, you, uh, I suggested if if you were going to be in Paris, maybe you should talk to Vincent Marival of Wild Bunch, one of the great sales companies. And you have put up a bit of a teaser uh, piece today about Jean Luc Godard wanting to sell his movie to Netflix. Yeah, well, it was just too good to pass up talking about this. And basically, what Marival was saying, and this is a guy who's worked on Godard's last four movies. And what he was saying was, I was sort of joking to him. And, you know, Godard's been in this sort of new media phase of his career. He makes movies that kind of feel like they are challenging our relationship to the medium, which, 
it's sort of where he started out anyway. And I was like, you know, this is the kind of thing I could see being part of the whole conversation about, you know, distribution revolution or changing platforms or whatever. And he was like, actually, if we had had the film done in time, I had this idea of getting it on Netflix during the festival and then releasing it theatrically afterward. <laughs> I love it. And I, I was like, would Godard be okay with that? And he's like, Godard understands that his films don't fit into traditional models. He actually feels more like, you know, I mean, the, the irony is that Goodbye to Language actually did pretty well in, in the limited release in the U.S. because he's such a strong brand and people were really talking about it. But he actually feels like he makes avant-garde films to be shown in museums and installations or special events. So he doesn't care if his movie was on, on Netflix and all that kind of stuff. And that's so interesting to think about in a year of all these conversations about, you know, the all French the exhibitors. are saying it's got to yeah. be 35, it's got to be on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, count on it, Godard to, to go the other way. And it, and it it would work that well. Sense. I mean, it's a, we haven't seen the movie, but my understanding is it's, it's similar in ter- to Goodbye to the Language in the sense that it's a non-linear essay film with a lot of images. And the people who are interested in that kind of film will really, really, really want to see it. And there are certain people who, will, who only want to see Infinity War type of movies and will never take a risk of this movie. And even if they did, they, they'll be baffled by it. So getting it on Netflix all over the world would actually be kind of amazing. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's like a Quaron type of thing that was shot on 70 millimeter and demands the big screen either. Although I'm sure that'll be a fun screen. I'm still to be curious at. to see how that plays out. Exactly. Well, because, because what's going on is there's just a lot of pressure on Netflix to admit or give in or submit to the theatrical demands that everyone is placing on them. And a lot of uh, people are arguing with filmmakers and saying, you know, you really get buried at Netflix. You really shouldn't let your brand be diminished at Netflix. And so uh, theatrical is the answer if they're willing to change their model, which so far they have not been able to do. Yeah, it's a real push-me-pull-you situation, and, and it does feel like there's a lot of testosterone fueling the back and forth on all I'm this stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, there's some. There's some, no, because ne- Netflix really is the mighty disruptor that is, is, is bigger, and although you could argue that Amazon has the potential, because of how wealthy they are, to, yeah, to deep be pockets. a disruptor as well, and they just haven't done as much with their, with their dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, the, at the end of the day... Uh, somebody with deep pockets and room to play around can do great things in both the digital market and theatrically. But what we're seeing is more of a bifurcation where companies are kind of committing to one or the other. The the irony is that Netflix is actually really great for foreign language films. It's it's a big buyer of foreign language films and reaches a lot of eyeballs. And without you know, I mean, because it's, possible, it's so global. Yeah, and it's possible that Netflix could buy. A, some movies it, it can this year and, and when you think about it in a post Harvey world there are not a ton of American buyers uh, at, at Cannes looking for it's still uh, very competitive films. because there aren't that many titles that are really going to yeah, be playable not, uh, the most commercial, back in the yeah. States so they're all you know the Orchard is fighting with IFC which is fighting with Sony Pictures Classics yeah, it's a small crop yeah. And it's a world where Fox Searchlight and and companies of that scale are probably not going to necessarily buy anything. Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't usually do that. Yeah, but exactly. they'll be looking at the stuff in the in the footage. They'll be looking at the footage in the market and checking out the the pre-buys and meeting with people about movies that are in the works. Yeah, That's there, really what they do. There will be marketplace activity, but I do think that it is kind of funny in a, in a backward sort of way that all this stuff about you know trying to get things released in theaters and, and a French 
law and, and Cannes competition law about being released in French theaters, and yet most people back in the States are not going to see any of these movies. You know, no. I mean, so not even one. Yeah. It may be so low. In fact, in fact, the 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 star power. You know, the stuff that they do see is often the the coverage from the red carpet and yeah. and whatever movie stars. It's it's a it's pretty. I mean, there are more movie stars on the jury than there are in yeah. you know in in the actual selection. But we a, shall we shall be there shortly. Yeah, you'll see a lot of photos of Kate Blanchett going to see movies right. this year. But Over, we'll see what all she her outfits, chooses. her her wide range of outfits. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Start the galleries now people so um before we go i just want to make sure we plug uh, our, our the final uh podcast around in can which will be on the second week uh on thursday uh the second thursday of the oh festival. that's our live podcast it'll be the live podcast Keep it, the keeping the tradition alive so so that'll be 11 a.m american pavilion uh if you are a listener to screen talk and we'll be around please come and, and ask questions we always enjoy seeing people from around the world and engaging in that context. And given the fact that it will literally be the finish line for us as, as we're leaving the next day, we are going to be exhausted and uh, stressed out to an extreme, but also we will have so much that we need to talk through. So it should be a fun one. And uh, I know I'm excited for it, but uh, for now it's just time to uh, keep revving our engines and I'll see you shortly in France. And you got it. Bye.